Callie, are you going to come and read for us, girl? Where are you? Come, Callister. Vanguard is in the house. It's a long time ago now. It is a long time ago. Perfect. All right. Acts 1, 1 through 5. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Next one. John 14, 23 through 27. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, and peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So the underlined sections are the pieces we're going to hone in on tonight. I want to speak about the Holy Spirit as instructor, because I think there is something exquisite. He's not a, he's not a force or an energy. He is not some other obsequious part of some transcendent reality. He is a person. He feels, he senses, he, he speaks. Um, and although in essence, one God, very clearly three personalities. Michael Green in a beautiful book says this, how does one render the reality? That's the mystery of it all. That is wind, fire, breath, Life, all the words used to describe the Holy Spirit, tangible yet intangible, invisible yet powerful, inexpressible yet intimate, powerful yet gentle, reliable yet unpredictable, personal yet impersonal, transcendent yet imminent. Oh my gosh. We're talking mystery here, people. But it's an invitation to a journey of discovery. Remember last week, I quoted to you from Tim Mackey in Bible Project, where he said the job of the Holy Spirit was, and I'm quoting it again, the Holy Spirit was hovering, Ruach Elohim. He was ready to bring order so life can flourish. Man, that that, that little quote has stayed with me all week. He will bring order so life can flourish. And so what the Holy Spirit does, partnering with God whose plans and purposes need to prevail. Jesus who has made another way to allow that to happen through forgiveness and kindness and mercy and goodness. Now the Holy Spirit anchors us into that space so we can flourish. Way more than the top goal is to be happy, way more than the top goal is to be authentic or whatever it is you want to. I think God's agenda for us is to ensure that we flourish. 
Listen to this beautiful quote by Francis Chan. I think it is there on the screen. I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I could not be doing this by my own power. Can I read it again? We're gonna land there tonight with another story. I don't want my life to be explainable. Explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this by my own power. Now, we ministered in Africa. I was 38 when we moved here. So from the age of 18 when I started street preaching till the time we moved here, it was a 20-year window. The supernatural was real. It was part of our everyday, kind of. You know what I'm saying. But there is this invitation to living a supernatural life. And by that implications, it gets us into situations that we simply cannot manage. That to me is the invitation. God, I don't know how to handle it. Fabulous. This is out of my control. Fabulous. I don't know what the wise answer is. Fabulous. Because that's where the invite comes to living the supernatural life where on my knees I hear the quiet whisper of the ever-present articulate one. We're just too busy. We're just too distracted. Those little weapons of mass destruction called the iPhone. Great enemies of quiet. So, where are we going to go tonight? I want to just walk us through three ideas, and there are way more. Three ideas of how God or the Holy Spirit as instructor evidences Himself in, himself in our life. I want to quote from Clark Pinnock, a great book called Flame of Love. The Spirit who filled Jesus empowers the community of disciples to be vehicles of God's saving activity. We are partnering with God on eternal things. Jesus who received the Spirit and ministered in power communicates God's life to the church to carry on that mission. People going to Sri Lanka, people going to work with Homeless, broken, addicts, whatever. Like Jesus, the church must live not out of its own resources, but by the power of the indwelling spirit who breathes, who strengthens, who inspires, and who guides. I'm not expecting that you remember all this. But I am asking that you open your heart to let God, the great ever articulate one, become louder and louder in your life. He speaks. Those two verses, those two passages we quoted right at the beginning, Jesus said He would give instructions through the Holy Spirit. And then John 14 speaks about the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. You know what's so funny? Each one of um, my two sons-in-law, Stu's here, and my son-in-law, who leads a church, led a church until this morning. He stopped leading a church this morning. And uh, it was so funny watching them come into the family because if you've been around our home, you know we are very articulate. We talk a lot. 
We talk a lot. It's kind of part of the family hobby. The dining room table is the choice space to engage in concepts and conversations, simple and frivolous, deep and profound. And I enjoyed, I have to tell you, watching first Mark come into the family. And uh, I, I think he was, came from a family of two, quite a quiet family, very kind of deferring to each other. And I think he just sat and watched this going around the table as this whirlpool of conversation just spun night after night after night. Stu came in, equally so, I think, Stu, unless I misrepresent my reading of you, uh, the same thing, just like, dang, do you guys always talk this much? I mean, do, do you ever just sit quietly? And as you know, Nani and T are dating and I'm seeing the same thing. It's like, and you guys just talk. You, you do a lot of talking. They see, the Holy Spirit is the ever articulate one. He ever wants to communicate with us because He's intimate with us. He wants to engage with us around life's issues. I'll leave all that out. I need to move on. Invite a man. Invite him in, find a quiet place on the beach, a place on your knees at five o'clock in the morning, in your bed at night when you're just lying down, when you're going for your walk along the promenade or the back bay, invite him. It's a Holy Spirit, I so want to hear you speak. I've got a couple of stories for you this evening, which I hope will create a thirst and a hunger in you for this. The first is very simply, we cannot escape the instructor. Sorry, it's kind of very pointy tonight, but, but, but there's intention. We cannot escape the instructor. You got the slide there? Psalm 139, you hem me in. Not that one, the next one. I'm leaving some out. So if you're confused, there we go. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit, dear precious people? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the door, the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Very simply, don't run. I was talking to a young man who had been with us from the beginning who doesn't hang with us anymore, not in this space. And I love him. I absolutely love him. I think he's an amazing man. And in the conversation, we were chatting very openly. There's no awkwardness or defensiveness in his journey of really walk. If you walk away from community, it's a matter of time before you walk away from faith. That just happens. Because community is God's glue. It, it holds us together in the harmony and wonder of who God is. And so um, we chatted away and then I looked at him and obviously won't mention his name. And I said, you know, you're coming back. And he kind of cocked his head sideways for me. I said, well, you're the prodigal. And at least by my theology, the prodigal always comes back because the great hound of heaven is after you. He's got your sniff, your smell, and he is chasing you and he's gonna chase you down. That's a fate accompli. What isn't a fate accompli is by what condition? Will you come easy? Or will you come hard? Will you embrace a life of intimacy with God, with goodness, grace, mercy, kindness? Or will you run hard 
and end up stuttering and stumbling in, dare I use the biblical phrase, the ways of the world. The only thing that I don't know, I said to him, is in what condition will you come back? See, the boy didn't come back well, did he, in the prodigal son's story. He was eating with the pigs. And story after story, testimony after testimony of people who've tried to, my brother, at 18 years old, I was preaching. He responded to, in those days we had altar calls and he came and, and I held him, he's bigger than me actually, and, and I held him, big rugby player, six foot two, quick lightning guy. And he literally walked out there and ran. Got involved in about anything and everything you can think of, including having, having an affair as a married man. No matter how hard he tried to run, no matter how far he tried to run, nothing satisfied, not affairs, not drugs, not sport, not partying, not drinking, anything we try to do that numbs our inner senses from the intimate voice of the Holy Spirit. Let's silence him no matter what the cost. I need him to shut up. And I got the phone call 20 years later. 20 years later at the age of 38, he said, but I stopped running. I said, I knew you would. Because you can't run away from the great instructor. You can't escape him. Don't try or try, but your ending will not be good. His wife said in a court of law, he tells the story publicly, I'm not breaching confidence. And his, his wife sat with the divorce papers, all that she had to do was sign it. Her lawyer was a lawyer from the church we used to lead and, he, and he, Graham looked at her and he said, Jenny, are you sure? She sat there for a moment, had recently come to faith, the presence of God came upon her. She had every reason to, to divorce my brother because he was an absolute arsehole. And she looked at him and she said, no, Graham, I think I can do it again. You meet them today, you wouldn't believe that he was the prodigal son sitting in the pigsty when God called him back one more time. The second thing about this instructor is this instructor points us to Jesus. Now, can I say this for those of you who are a little more of a charismatic background? Let me just address you as I am. I got saved in the 70s during the height of the charismatic renewal. I've been through the Toronto blessing. You name it, I've been through it in the last 45 years. And what happens sometimes is we miss the point. We think the Holy Spirit exists for me or for itself, for himself. So we have the river. And if you don't know what I'm doing, don't worry. Thank the Lord you don't. Come through the river and you'll feel the anointing. I mean, we've done it all. And the presumption is that a momentary encounter with the Holy Spirit, we want to make a movement of it. We write books about it, CDs. We launch it on YouTube. We do everything because a kind God moment, we try to make an ongoing prolonged event. It's just a God moment. And what that God moment does is points us to Jesus. That's what it does. 
The Spirit is guiding, Clark Pinnock says, luring, wooing, influencing, drawing all of humanity, not just the church. He wants every person to come to the knowledge of the truth so that through Christ, justification and life will be provided for all. There it is. John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. John 14, 26, but the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. You don't have to go and try and explore them out there. You don't have to try and be authentic. Just be obedient. Obedience is the highest form of authenticity. It is bowing a humble knee to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords who loves you, who wants you to flourish. Somehow this idea of a cosmic killjoy is so foreign to the Bible I know and the life I've lived to see this, honestly, I wake up in the morning and I'm sorry there are a few personal in the moment stories, but I, I, do you know how much I love you? He says to me. Especially if a day hasn't gone well or I've made some mistakes or I haven't preached well or led well, led a meeting back. Just I go into His presence and His Word, His language of affirmation is so gloriously compelling because He is committed even to me at my age to flourish. To lead you into all things, teach you all things about you. Why are you you? Didn't God fearfully and wonderfully make you? Didn't God design you in your mother's womb and and systematically cell by cell, artery by artery, vein by vein? Didn't He meticulously, intentionally put you together? And so the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus and brings us into a living, vital relationship with Him. Let me tell you about Russell Moore. I heard the story many years ago and I daren't tell it all, it's way too long. But Russell uh, at one stage was president of the Baptist Union and he tells the story of when he and his wife were young, they decided to adopt two Russian boys. And he says, he remembers arriving in Russia in this rural, I mean, in this kind of regional city. They were met there. You always feel very awkward. You feel very uncomfortable. And he said, we, we were picked up by someone whose English was very limited, driven to an orphanage in the country. And he said, when my wife and I walked in, he said, what struck us firstly was the stench. There were literally lines and lines of cots of babies that had been thrown away effectively by their birth mums. They were lying in their own stench, their excrement and their vomit and their urine. They lay on sheets that weren't clean in clothes that were rarely clean. And he said, if that was not bad enough, what was the worst? As he turned to his wife and he said, have you noticed? And she said, yes, I have. Not one child was crying. They had been so numbed by the trauma of their own experience that they were incapable of showing emotion. It had gone way beyond that. Dead on the inside, you might argue. And they were taken to meet their two little babies. 
Forgive me, I can't remember their names. I remember one was Sergei, of course it would be. And he said, we spent a few days with these kids. They were from a Russian context, obviously different, but they sat there, him and his wife, and read books to their boys, played with their boys, sang with their boys, hugged their boys, cleaned their boys, changed them and gave them fresh clothes, their boys, but the paperwork was not done and they knew they had to leave to come back a second time to fetch them. He said, as he and his wife turned to leave and start walking down the corridor, there was one high-pitched screech. He says, I can't describe it any other way, but the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and on my arms stood up as this high-pitched screech came from his adopted son who had discovered true love and would do anything but give it away one more time. And he said, I don't know why I did it, but I ran back and I knelt next to the bed and he quoted this passage. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. But Levy had to until he could get the paperwork to fetch his kid. In fact, he said, and I won't go further down the story, it was so amazing. They were driving in the car to the airport and the window was wound down because there was no air conditioning in the car. And he said, this little kid started screaming because it had never had wind in its face. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the work of the Ruach of heaven is to point us to Jesus, the great redemptive story where God meets us in our numbed death. Doesn't matter the condition. They didn't give conditions for adoption. Oh, we want this kind of kid from this kind of family. And, and they said, give us whoever you want to give us. There was a cosmic selection that took place. And your or my redemption, however you interpret election, is that. There is in a moment of sovereign election where God redeems you and me out of the numbness and brokenness of our own human trauma. Where we don't even know how to screech. And then we taste love. Then we taste the flourishing goodness of God and the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. Please hear me. It's not to an experience, and I believe in experiences. I believe Sarah was touched tonight. Maddie was touched tonight. I believe in encountering God where we feel He opens us up and He comes in and tucks Himself inside of us as we are in Him. There is high experience in that. Our emotions have been crafted. My emotions are not just for Meryl and our 43 years of marriage. It's that I know how to laugh with my heavenly Father. I know how to weep because He's weeping over a situation. Does that make sense to you? Not only does the Holy Spirit, not only is the Holy Spirit there to ensure we understand you cannot escape the divine instructor. He always points us to Jesus. I do want to see, how are we doing time-wise? I do want to see more of the Holy Spirit here, peeps. Not just here. Not just here, anywhere. Anywhere we go, there is that radar that's up all the time. God, is there someone you want to say something to? And we'll make some mistakes and we're okay with that. But he points us back to Jesus more and more 
and more because Jesus is our great redeeming King. He is the one that we are drawn to as the ultimate groom. I don't know what it will look like. And I know it's the language of Scripture, but I've ne- I, I try and think, what will I be like as a bride? I don't think I'll be very cute, you know. But, but He's the groom. And, and I'm His bride. And one day He's going to open up the heavens and one day He's going to send His angels out to the four corners of the globe. Which, and, and one day He's going to come on His steed and one day He's going to call to Himself those who are in the, in the Lamb's book of life. And one day it will all make sense. And every one day tears will be dried and heartaches will be healed and confusion will be clarified because the Holy Spirit points us back to Jesus. You good for one more? All right, let's leave that out. Time's not our friend. The Holy Spirit, thirdly, is the, the instructor who is our teacher. And I'll be very quick with this. Um, he, he, he's the one who reveals things. You know, the Stanford uh, psych, uh, Encyclopedia of Philosophy says, Revelation is the removal of the veil so that something can be seen. Unveiling, disclosing, and uncovering. We've had lots of those over the Christmas time. The Holy Spirit is the great revealer. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, God has revealed to us by His Son. Sorry, by His Spirit. God has revealed to us by His Spirit. I think it's there. All right. So all of that. Oh, there's such wonderful material. But you know, I sat with someone recently. They really hurt me many years ago. Details aren't important, so don't guess who I'm describing. But I, I, I sat there interested. He, after a few years, had called me and said, hey, Chris, can we meet up? And I said, absolutely, I love that. And we had a great time. I was curious, was he going to apologize? But there was no apology forthcoming. And um, towards the end of the conversation, he was speaking about his future, and he said, you know, He said, and then he described the situation. He said, if this were to happen to me, he said, I I just don't know. It's kind of, it's too dastardly a thought. And I sat there thinking, you don't even know you've just described what you did to me. But I I drove home and when I got home, I said to Meryl, you know what's interesting is his eyes are so blinded. He describes what he does to me and his worst nightmare is what he did to me. And I said, Holy Spirit, only you can open his eyes. Only you can be the great revealer. Only you can open our eyes to see what is not always evident and clear. All right. I just wanted to throw that little story in because I felt there were some of you who were really wrestling with someone who is blind. It's like, can't you see what you're doing? Can't you see the pain and the trauma you're causing? And it's like, no, they can't. The eyes have been blinded, but the Holy Spirit comes to be the revealer. He opens the eyes, takes the scales off of the eyes. All right, lastly, 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 quickly. He is our guide. I'm gonna quote Francis Chan again. The truth is that the Spirit of the living God is guaranteed to ask you, here it comes, to go somewhere or do something you won't normally want 
or choose to do. I'll read it again, it's on the screen. The truth is that the Spirit of the living God is guaranteed to ask you to go somewhere or do something you wouldn't normally want or choose to do. The Spirit will lead you to the way of the cross, to Jesus, as He led Jesus to the cross. And that is definitely not a safe or pretty or comfortable place to be. The Holy Spirit will mould you into the person you were made to be that often Sorry, that's often the incredibly painful process strips you of selfishness, pride, and fear. Now, where am I going with this? Two stories. The one, a scriptural story. The Holy Spirit is our guide and He takes us where we do not want to go. T, you know that uh, thing you, you sent to mom? Can you remember where it said something to the effect of, that it's easier for me to go down or to go negative than to go positive. Can you remember that little TikTok clip? Because oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to butcher it if I tell it. And it looks like you're going to butcher it if you tell it. Probably. Uh, it was about how... Okay. <clears throat> um, hey, everyone. Um, it, basically, it was about how um, like society today has taken... Um, more negative things like being mean and blunt and pessimistic and labeled them as being um, authentic and real and then things like being joyful and positive as superficial. Um, and actually it's harder to be joyful and optimistic. It takes more to do that than to be pessimistic and negative. But we've we've changed the meaning because it's easier to be the, the negative things. So it makes us feel better. Right, great. That wasn't bad. Thanks. I actually thought I woke you up, but I, I, that wasn't bad. He, he went on and said, hate is easy. Love is really hard. Greed is easy. Generosity is hard. And he, oh, there was one other, but it was so profound. <laughs> Just happy hour. Dana, is there anything you want to say? All right, the Holy Spirit is our guide. Here's the two stories in the light of this. In the light of the God, the Holy Spirit will lead us to places we don't want to go. Do you understand that? I know, I really do understand that a major rallying cry, I'm going to be authentic. To what? Well, what, what, what does that mean? I know that the Bible story says, oh, I die daily. That's biblical authenticity. Uh, hi, Benjamin, have you, have you died today? Any dying, Jonathan? Any dying recently, Jordan? That's the biblical narrative. That's the authenticity of the text. Quickly, two stories. One is Philip the Evangelist, Acts chapter 8. What's that? I'll see you at home, Dana. Um, so, the, so the instructor is not only the one who prevents us from trying to go to the highs or lows, but he's, he's the revealer. He opens things to us. But this, dear friend, is he guides us 
Philip the evangelist, you know the story. He was like a mainline dude in the Jerusalem church. He was chosen amongst 3,000 to be one of seven, to be one of the key leaders. I mean, he is styling. His name's there. And there's nothing that tests the heart when someone else is promoted in leadership around you and it's not you. That is the worst because it exposes all the hard things. He then goes to Samaria and preaches the gospel. That's the kind of closest geographical space to where the Gentiles live. I'm oversimplifying. And man, something happens. The Holy Spirit comes, uh, comes into that space and there's all sorts of signs and wonders and miracles and salvations. It is a good gig. And he thinks, well, I'm glad I left Jerusalem. Man, I didn't know what I was going to, but now I'm super stoked. I'm here and God is doing something pretty dang amazing. And then the Holy Spirit comes to him one more time. He says, come, Philip. He says, hang on, hang on. You got me to leave Jerusalem? I wasn't that stoked, but this is a cool gig. This next one's obviously really cool. This is like cooler. And the Holy Spirit takes him to a dusty road in the Middle East. If you've been there, you, your mind immediately has the imagination of what it looks like. And there is a cart, fairly fancy, obviously of some means. And in the cart is a eunuch. Now he could have been a eunuch by birth, by personal choice, or by the queen or the king's um, obligation. And he sits there, Philip jumps up next to him, he says, hey, I see you're reading the, the scroll. Yes, I am. I don't understand it, man. Someone's got to explain it to me because this is supernatural. Oh, says Philip, and he describes it to him. And there's this beautiful, intimate moment where Philip climbs down from the wagon. Remember the trauma that this could have been. Jews, you just didn't hang with Gentiles. You just didn't mix it. And eunuchs, definitely not. That's unclean. You stay away from them. And there he is in a, on a dirty water. I don't know what it was, how deep it was, how big it was, as he baptizes this man. And he says, God, Jerusalem was great. Samaria was fabulous. I didn't want to come here. But this is good. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit as guide doesn't take us to where we want to go. He takes us to where we need to go. I'm going to land, and I don't know why this is important to tell, and I will tell it briefly, but I could not get away from the story this week. William Wilberforce in the 1700s in England was a kid of means. His father died when he was young. His mother could not cope, so she sent him to wealthy, a wealthy uncle and aunt in London who were evangelicals, and she didn't know. They led him to Jesus. The mother found out and was distraught because suddenly he had so much, I quote, religious enthusiasm. So she quietly tried to buffet it out of him. Not a good thing for a wealthy person with means and looking to go forward to have spiritual enthusiasm. When he goes to Cambridge in about 18, 1779, he meets William Pitt. William Pitt became the youngest English Prime Minister at the age of 21, 24. Never been done before. His major task was fighting Napoleon as Napoleon was butchering Europe. And at the age of 21, Wil Wilberforce became the youngest Prime Minister from the town of Hull. He describes himself of being very 
unenthusiastic as a parliamentarian, did the least amount he could, got his money, got his privilege, did his stuff, but was very, very inactive, doing the least possible things that were required of him. But he had two conversions. The first was he went to Europe with a friend. Well, actually a friend of a friend, and that's where the mistake was. Because this friend of a friend proved to be a Jesus lover. And he thought he was going to party his way around Europe under the, the kind of guise of exploration and knowledge. But ended up spending hours of Bible study with this Irish person, go figure, who shared the gospel with him and philosophically they wrestled their way to closure and he wrote to William Pitt to say, there is a big change happening in me. Conversion number one. He went back as so often happens and said to family and friends alike, well, I'm gonna become a vicar now. How great is the temptation when I encounter Christ to feel like that equates a life of vocational ministry. But he went to visit a man, a family friend. A man called? Anyone? Who wrote Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Newman? He had been a ship's captain who had taken endless numbers of slaves from Africa to the Americas and one day encountered the living Christ, repented and wrote the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And it's interesting because the account was that Wilberforce went to see him saying, please don't tell anyone I'm coming. My face is too recognizable as a member of parliament. When he got to his door, he wanted to knock on the door but was too intimidated by the moment so he walked around the town square a few times. And he knocked on the door and the conversation that took place then is a mystery except he came out with a stern and firm conviction in his second conversion that the Holy Spirit was guiding him back into politics. He met with William Pitt who, as I said, was the Prime Minister. William Pitt, and he said to William Pitt, listen, I'm not sure, but I don't think this political thing is true for me. And William Pitt said to him words to this effect, you can meditate and be a man of action, but it's your time. Here it comes. There are 300 members of Parliament against you. You will be the only one standing up to abolish slavery, but it's a fight I believe you can match. 20 years, 20 years, as we celebrate Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, 20 years he fought the system, a system built on the economy of slavery. He had two conversions. The one was to redeem his soul. The second one was to put him on mission or to guide him. And just before he died, he got word that it had been um, written out of the law. The Holy Spirit guides us. John Wesley said to him, who started Methodism, he said, listen, bro, this had better be God because if it's not, it will kill you. But if it's God, He will change the world. And change the world He did. One man, a small man, frail man, how they described him with a beautiful voice. 
great orator who took on 300 members of parliament and a whole economy based on slavery. And in 20 years, empowered by the Spirit, doggedly fighting, he closed slavery down globally. How is the Holy Spirit guiding you and me? What is He saying that's humanly impossible that He's asking of you, that your mind wants to fight, that your mind says, no, well, you, you can't do that. You know you can't do that. Can you imagine the trauma and the demonic war and the threat of assassination and letters of what they would do to his wife, Barbara? Can you imagine all of those things night after night, week after week? Who can sustain such a dastardly bombardment but one who has been guided by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit and whom the Holy Spirit walks with? I will never leave you or forsake you.